The following program is intended for mature audiences. TGIF, it's Manson Mitchell with Gary Manson, Suzanne Mitchell. A double shot of good conversation with great guests to jumpstart your weekend. Manson Mitchell, you're on the air. Thank you, Eric Kramer. Hi, everybody. I'm Gary Mance. I'm Suzanne Mitchell. And together we are Manson Mitchell in your ears for the hour. Great stuff today. We usually aim for great sometimes, you know. If we don't quite make it, we'll try harder next time. And the reason why we're even able to do that is because of the Herculean labors of bad boy Benny Mathers at the board. How are you, Benny? Oh, this is not me. It's Punxsutawney Phil. It's his fault, too. <laughs> Six more weeks of... <sighs> that guy. Seriously, yeah. that guy. Someone needs to like put a blindfold over him. Seriously, like he can't see nothing. Okay, this is not you fair. Know, well, th- but then you'll have <laughs> other. Uh, you'll have other. <laughs> other issues. Punks a tiny fill anyway. I forget. There's a rodent of some kind. Uh, yeah, <laughs> or, or as, as they said in Groundhog, Groundhog of course, like, <laughs> and hence Groundhog Day. You put the. Uh, you put the mask over them there, and then you're going to have some other groundhogs complaining that the whole thing is rigged. It's a hoax. <laughs> There'll be a committee <laughs> and an investigation. Here we go again. When are they going to indict that groundhog? Right there. Meanwhile, folks in the Midwest. Oh, wow. Suzanne has many relatives and friends in the Chicago area. Uh, beloved friends of ours in Minnesota. Ooh, they just, I don't know how you did it all those years, Suzanne. Uh, me neither. It's just, Happy it's, to be that's here. That's why in you're Florida in Florida today. now. You yeah. got it, my friend. today. You yep. got it. And a quick check in with Benny. Now, last night I wasn't able to stay up to what well, I had other things to, to do. So uh, I did not get to see any part of the Kraken, I believe, were playing the mighty Boston Bruins. How did that turn out? Uh, I caught a little bit of it last night. Uh, Jessica and I went out for dinner, and I actually haven't followed up on the score overall. I could probably find that for you in a couple that's minutes. Right. But sorry. I, I, oh, that's I, che- okay. I check them every day. Well, the Bo- Boston Bruins, are play- they haven't lost, at least as of last night before uh, the puck drop. They had yet to lose nine games in this season, and we're past the All-Star break in hockey. That's extraordinary. So uh, they're going to be the tough nut to crack when it comes Stanley cup time it looks we'll like see. boston won six to five six to five well, so speaking of six to five six yeah. to five that's what the lightning lost to last yeah night. overtime ooh, ooh, they had to come back to tie it at five and lost in overtime mm-hmm. but that's the way it goes and uh, good luck to the crack and i'm yeah. so proud of the way they're playing their second season in existence just extraordinary they're doing great and speaking of extraordinary we have with us once again, what a delight. I've lost track of how many appearances. I looked it up today. And what is that number? Today is lucky number 13. Oh, come on. A baker's dozen. Yeah, also the, the association with mystery, the eerie, <laughs> the paranormal, all that good stuff. Yeah. Nicole Strickland joins us today. Multi-published author. She's got a new one in the pipeline. It'll be out very shortly. We're going to ask about that. Oh, my goodness. So much to talk about. Let us fill the rest of the hour with all things Nicole and the product, the fruits of her research and her considerable and well-respected writing ability as well. Why don't I give her some mini mad props? Mini. She's a friend of ours and a friend of Everybody the knows Nicole by now. Absolutely. You hang out around the Queen Mary in Long Beach, you just say her name and they, they say, oh, you're supposed to whisper that in reverential tones. Yeah, that's right. A natural history lover, Nicole Strickland is a native of San Diego, California. 
She obtained her Bachelor of Arts degree in Media Arts and a minor in Journalism from the University of Arizona in 2001. Throughout her life, Nicole has always enjoyed reading, writing, and paranormal research. She is the founder, co-director, and case manager for the San Diego Paranormal Research Society, a well-respected team that has conducted projects at private residences, businesses, and historical landmarks throughout California and out of state besides. So with that, and that just doesn't even scratch the surface, but we definitely are going to get into some metaphysical weeds and the paranormal with our good friend, Nicole Strickland. Nicole, my dear, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you so much for having me. You guys are just awesome. Can I just oh. say that I just love you guys? Uh, I just love you guys. I know yes. it's mushy. I know it is, but I just well, had to can, say it. I just had to. That. You could say that. It's yeah. Like I, love just that. Said. I love yeah. you. Thank you. The feeling is mucho. Mucho. I love it. <laughs> I have a question. Okay. I heard in the introduction that it's reading, writing, and paranormal all her life. Here is my question, Nicole, because I've never asked you this before. Um, when, when you say you have been interested in the paranormal all your life, I can remember being a very small child and having sleepovers with girlfriends and they liked to watch horror movies. And I was horrified at horror movies. And I could barely watch them. Mostly, I had the covers over my head. Did you like horror movies? When you say paranormal, that's that's ghosts and monsters and all that good stuff. Did you like that from a very early age? I Well, I always try to like separate horror from paranormal in the sense that, I mean, there's nonfiction horror and then there's fiction horror, you know, like the fictional horror, of course, is super different from, you know, real life paranormal phenomena. But as a young girl, I had experiences way back when I was like five, going back four and five years old. So I've had all kinds of experiences, but I'm trying to recollect, yeah, you know, the, the, the girl, you know, the, the Friday night sleepovers with friends and we would play the games, you know, light as a feather, stiff as a board, things like that. I've always, I, I like certain types of horror movies, but the ones that have like a lot of gore in it, I just can't just, I think it's just because I, even though I know it's fake, I empathize with the characters and what they're going through. So it depends on the type of film, but if it's more like a sci-fi mystery type of horror, that that I'll watch. But the real gory ones, uh, not so much. <laughs> well, that's so. good to know because, you know, interesting when Gary was saying reading and writing, I, I've been reading and writing from a very early age. I have stories, you know, going way back into grammar school that I still have. And so reading and writing has always been part of my whole life. But then when he said, and paranormal, it was like, no, that, that didn't fit into my worldview. So I'm wondering how it fits into a worldview of a young person in Southern California. And you've explained it well by saying that you had paranormal experiences when you were four and five years old. So right. It, those kinds of things might not frighten you as much as they would other people that haven't had those experiences right yeah that's so true and then especially those that uh are swayed by pop culture and what and what it says about paranormal phenomena you know a lot of these shows and movies often paint uh the paranormal as being nothing but malevolent and evil so you know so that's one thing i have with it and so someone who's 
uh, untrained in paranormal research and just watching a lot of this, you never know how much that can influence someone. So then they already have warped views about it from the beginning. So, and then it takes paranormal researchers like us coming in, trying to, you know, calm their nerves a little bit, you know, no, it's not really like that, really. So, but yeah, you know, it's interesting, though. When I was young, even though I had this interest in all these experiences, never did I imagine ever as an adult that I would be researching and investigating the paranormal. It just it just happened. It just developed, I guess, as it was, as it was to be. So here I am. <laughs> so. A couple of things well, I, I should go in terms of lineage before anything. We have not talked about your grandmother in a long time. I know we have in past visits. Mm -hmm. And speaking of visits, what is the connection to your grandmother and your intense interest and your professional career now in researching the paranormal? Right. This is a, I mean, I'll try to keep this story short. So my maternal grandmother, Helen Lopinto, I'm pretty sure I mentioned her name, you know, back on another episode. Uh, so my mom's mom, uh, her and I were very, very close. She passed away at, I think, 96 years old. So she also lived in San Diego. So she called me the night before she transitioned. And it was in the afternoon. And so here I was in Arizona attending college. And so I talked with her for about 10 minutes. And I kept thinking in the back of my mind, why is she calling asking if I'm okay? Now, she did that every once in a while. She was a worry wart and always worried about the family, but it just seemed odd to me. And I really couldn't put my finger on it. Now I kind of surmised that maybe she knew that she was about to pass and she was just making her rounds, you know, making sure that the family was okay. So I talked with her for a few minutes and then got off the phone. And then fast forward 24 hours later, my mom called me and I knew by the tone of her voice that something wasn't right. And so she said, you know, I love you, sweetie, but grandma passed away early this morning. We think it was about 4.45 a.m. on October 25th. Another interesting thing is that she died on my mom's birthday on October 25th. So that's a whole connection right there. But I, I came back out here, attended her services, just a private viewing. And then when I got back out to my apartment, in Arizona, I started having experiences that I never had prior to her passing. So the doorknobs rattling by themselves, of course, I thought, all right, I'm in an apartment, this is vibration, this is some sort of something that's naturally caused, but I could not figure it out. And then that culminated into me actually seeing her full bodied apparition even at one point, her caressing or uh, an invisible hand touching my face didn't see anything, but it felt like it came from someone I knew and loved. So I've often thought, okay, I was during this time, obviously still grieving her death. Is it some sort of bereavement hallucination? Am, am I projecting seeing her from my grief? Or did she really visit me? And so I still kind of vacillate between that. But I, I, tend to side with more that it was a visitation because it was so intense. And it was since then that actually catapulted me into investigating and researching the paranormal. So I do credit her for that. So it's like, it's, it's as if she knew before I did that I was destined to go down this path, if that makes sense. So I miss it her greatly. I miss her dearly. I know uh, the people who have passed, I, there are times I think of, uh, 
there, of course, of my grandparents and my parents, naturally, but right. also just friends who passed away who did not live to see 60 years of age. And that mm. just sends a chill up my spine. Because, oh, of I mean, course, I'm definitely past 60 there. I'm in my 60s, but uh, looking ahead to 70, I can see it there just off the prow of the ship. OK, no, my um, God. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I'm 68 years old. You know, I try. You, not to... you would never tell, though. I wouldn't have ever guessed that. I had someone because I posted a picture of Suzanne wow. and myself enjoying a Valentine's Day dinner. I at, saw that. Yeah, that was awesome. And you were kind enough to to remark and to put a love sticker on that there. But I had a couple of people say, Gary, you look like you haven't aged at all. And my immediate re reply to them was, you know, where you live, there are any number of good optometrists and places where you can get good glasses at a <laughs> discount there because when i'm brushing my teeth and looking in the mirror i'm seeing an old dude oh my gosh but i don't I feel old i, I feel yeah. like you know you're as old as you feel yes, exactly like, yeah. i can now subscribe to that officially and with experience to back it up i asked my mother one time when she was in her 80s there how does it feel to be in your 80s i mean do things change for you does your perspective change and she says well you know as you keep living i mean your body gets old you can't do the things you used to do but in terms of my mind because fortunately she kept all her marbles all the way through her life god bless her there and uh, she said that you know it's more physical than mental because mm -hmm. her outlook on life they're matured but she could respond and see it and catch up on news and gossip with the neighbors and talk to loved ones they're just as if she were you know half her age but our body tells us that we're getting old that's just a fact of life you know so we do what we can about that what i did want to ask you and thank you for sharing about your grandmother again nicole sure thank I'm you for sure. asking oh absolutely here's another question i'd like to ask you when you were in tucson attending the university of arizona a fine institution go wildcats go wildcats <laughs> and you were uh, minoring in journalism what did you intend when you were still a student before you graduated what were you intending to do with that with uh just the juror both degrees i wasn't actually quite sure i knew it was going to be something in maybe communications but i actually wasn't quite sure and what's interesting is i originally majored in pre-med but then a lot of my family uh, you know my mom's a nurse my dad's in the medical field and uh, my grandfather was a doctor my aunt's a nurse they kind of, well, my grandfather was deceased by this time, but I, my family and others that I talked to kind of said, well, you know, I don't know about that in the future with all the HMOs and blah, 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 blah. So I, I, I changed it. I, I think I also changed it for my own reasons. I don't know why, but I decided to major in something that was a little bit more liberal. And instead of just a, a general communications, I thought, well, media arts is fun because it's basically that degree was just an overview and an introduction to all different types of media. So, and then with journalism, I just, I, I, I minded hey, that because I, I always loved writing. And so I, I think at one point I wasn't sure if I wanted to do something like in, in the news, be a reporter or something like that. So I just wanted to you know, get some uh, classes under my belt that had to do with writing. Never, though, at that time did I ever imagine writing books. That came later. It's like it's it's almost as if my passion for the paranormal and my love of writing almost just met each other, became best friends, so to speak. So and then, you know, that's when those two happened. And it was just like, all right, let's write some books. So, yeah.
And it works out. I, uh, the Suzanne and I were talking, uh, uh, weren't we, uh, just before the show about how it's one thing to self-publish a book. There are some people that do that and that only. That's how they get their books out. You don't need to do that, Nicole. Yeah, you're multi-published. You're a name. You're, you're a well-known person as a writer, as a researcher. You 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 absolutely have an influence on a lot of people, Aww. and yet you're choosing to self-publish. Why this time around? So yeah, that's so interesting. I've always been traditionally pub- published, and so I I actually wrote what was well, supposed to be an article on the very spiritual experiences I had with both of my cats, Max and Kaylee, especially Kaylee after she transitioned. That when I was writing it, I thought, okay, about three, four thousand words. It actually turned into, I think, about ten or eleven thousand, maybe twelve thousand words. And so I had a few friends say, you know, you need to publish this. So I self-published that just as an ebook, just on on Amazon. I think it's uh, uh, KDP Unlimited. I think now, um, but you know, in, ta- in in having been traditionally published and talking with a lot of other authors, both like me, traditionally published and self-published, I learned that there's a lot of benefits to self-publishing as well. So it just kind of ended up, I guess, coming to be. And so my second book that's coming out at the end of next month, The Afterlife Chronicles is self. It's my, I would say that's my, even though it's my second self-published, it's actually my first just because there's more to it, you know, marketing and promotion. I mean, there's so many different steps you need to take when self-publishing and it seems extremely tedious. It's not hard. It's just either do it right or don't do it at all. So me, Miss, <laughs> Mrs. Perfection, not Mrs. Miss, I'm not married. Uh, perfectionist, it's like, well, I got to do all this right. So it just kind of, you know, I I think you can make more uh, in royalties, of course, with self-publishing. And there's, you know, benefits and cons, just as there are to traditionally publish. But I I, I got an imprint, um, you know, because I've heard that, you know, having an imprint is a little bit more professional than just your using your name. So I got an imprint that's Kaylee Max Books. And so here I am. And it's it definitely is a learning curve, though. It's a huge learning curve. But I'm just taking it one day at a time you know, not stressing out about it that much. So, yeah. The other books that we became familiar with you about had to do with the um, Queen Mary. Mm -hmm. And and among the things that we wanted to ask you today was, is there an update regarding the ship right now, the Queen Mary? Is there something going on there that you can let us know about? Sure. So starting in December and January, they opened the ship up for free tours to the public it was Evolution Hospitality, that's the manage, management company of the ship, and then, of course, City of Long Beach, because now the Queen Mary is now under the control of the City of Long Beach. So uh, they decided to open these tours for December and January to the public just as a way to thank the public for its patience. You know, the Queen Mary closed for the pandemic in uh, March of uh, 2020, and so it's been since December of 2019, since I've been on board. So that's crazy when you think about it, seeing as though I average like at least twice a month there. So they've been doing a lot of renovations on the ship. Uh, The lifeboats were all removed pretty much uh, just because a lot of them were, you know, uh, rotting and things like that. So they did remove those, but there's been a demolition of uh, a lot of different, uh, uh, mechanics and things of that nature. So demolition of the current heat exchangers, piping, 
electrical pneumatics, uh, which are needed to reopen the hotel, restaurants and bars and all kinds of onboard amenities. So there's a bunch of prep work going on now for the installation of new boilers and new heat exchangers, new piping and new mechanical equipment. So you need a lot of these to supply hot water for cooking and the kitchens and sanitization, things like that. And then also they're uh, installing a new emergency generator and bilge pumping system to help with emergency situations should they arise. All, let's see, upgrades also include, there are a list here, uh, main, the main boarding entrance. So the wharf enhancements in the wharf, promenade deck gangways are going to be, or gangway is going to be repaired. Uh, repairs to the elevators, uh, restrooms, uh, modernization, so painting, lighting changes, uh, a ceiling painting, tile replacements, uh, floor and window repairs, I think in the observation bar is what I read, uh, kitchen, restaurant upgrades, parking lot repairs, among others. So there's all this going on. Of course, this has been slowed because of our weather in the last couple of months. And by the way, San Diego was issued its first ever blizzard warning. Can you believe that? That's insane. No, I can't. It's especially for areas surrounding it, but it's like, you know, right in Southern California. I mean, that that's insane. I actually posted about it just because it's, you don't hear that that often. That's insane. Oh, never, never. I know. You know, when you're talking about such a massive amount of changes to the ship. Right. What would you expect? What would you think is going on with the spirits who reside there? Oh, my goodness. That's a good question. And I, even though I've been, and this might sound a little weird to people, and that's fine, but even I feel like you can communicate with energies that are in one place, even if you're in a different location. So I, throughout the pandemic, I've kind of been talking to the Queen Mary and talking to her spirits, letting them know what's going on. I think they probably are aware to some extent. But there is that theory in uh, paranormal phenomena that says that, you know, uh, renovations of any any kind can increase or not just, dis- I hate to use the word disturb, but in a way disturb, not in a negative way, the energy there. So I think... Right. It, it that that'd be interesting and i've always wondered this too like you know when i go back on you know how is the energy going to feel you know or it's it going to be more active are the spirits going to be more communicative things like that so those are things that i often you know wonder about with the queen mary so and i'm sure that some of the intelligent energies there that worked on board the queen mary might in spirit form be assisting in some of these repairs. For example, JP, I'll go by his first name, John, just out of uh, respect for his surviving family member, he family members, excuse me, he actually passed away in the uh, aft engine room, watertight door number 13 on the uh, starboard shaft alley side. To my knowledge, to our knowledge, no one saw it happen, but another crew member found him wedged upright in that watertight door number 13 crushed so he was bleeding and so sadly you know he passed shortly after he's been spotted he's actually one of the most beloved energies and he was actually a fireman and bilge cleaner on board the ship so he joined in march of uh i think it was march of 1966 and then he obviously passed uh i think it was number voyage number 482 
or 483, he passed on board the Queen Mary in July, July 10th of 1966. So I, I, I think about him and I'm like, oh, I wonder if he's, you know, kind of helping out, assisting in spirit form. So that's something that I wonder. But there's all this stuff going on. So a lot of these naysayers that feel that the Queen Mary isn't getting love, isn't getting the treatment that she deserves. Well, keep up to date with the city of Long Beach government uh, news, not newsletters, but news press articles that literally lay out all these different upgrades and, and renovations, because that should tell you something. And then there's actually a, a new a membership. They're going to be uh, adding newer memberships when the ship opens, but there's a, a tourist class membership that's offered currently through the Long Beach Long Beach Heritage dot org website. I actually purchased that as well. And then, of course, when the ship opens, they'll upgrade that to other tiers and things of that nature. So those that are interested in, in getting membership, just go to lbheritage.org slash Queen Mary, and it'll lay it out for you guys, for anyone that's interested in, in uh, joining. So We've, we've made the uh, point um, many times before, and our listeners may remember, that when you're talking about spirits, some of them are playing like a movie in a loop where mm -hmm. others are more uh, intelligent that you can interact with right. today. And now I would think if you were a spirit that was playing a loop, you might not have any awareness of the changes being made to the ship so that if you were always seen crossing the hall, you will continue to be seen crossing the hall. However, if you are um, a more uh, intelligent, that's not the right word. You know what I'm trying to of say, course. Nicole. But if you are a spirit who is aware of what is going on today, well, on the one hand, you're always going to have that group of people that say no changes, no changes, no changes. There's deterioration. Mm -hmm. So I would think that the majority of the spirits who are uh, on board would be happy that things are getting maintained and being updated and and being fixed rather than just deteriorating and then losing the ship altogether. So that makes that, sense. That would be my guess about it. That would be. Yeah, that's a very healthy guess. And I think that that's, you know, obviously applicable, you know. So, yeah, if you're you're talking about like a residual type of phenomena, which is not intelligent in the sense that, you know, if 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 there's a time loop or a psychic imprint. Right. That's just like a place memory. So there's really no right. intelligence there. But those that are conscious in terms of being able to sense us as we sense them. Absolutely. And then I often wonder, too, if some energies, even though they're intelligent, if they see the environment the way we see it, or do they see it from from their time? That's always something that's interesting to me. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, let's go ahead and take our break. I have more questions for Nicole after the break. <laughs> you and me both. This is always a great time whenever Nicole Strickland joins us on Manson Mitchell. Aww. Thank you for tuning in. We're delighted you folks are listening. We will uh, thrill you with suspense and the macabre on the other side of a short break as we talk with Nicole. We are Manson Mitchell. This is AM 1150 in Seattle, and we will be right back. 
Hi, everybody. This is Anson Williams from Happy Days, and I'm so excited to tell you about American Road. It is the best car travel magazine in the world. They have the most fantastic adventures detailed in each magazine with all your itinerary. We could just jump in the car with your family and have the most fabulous adventures you've ever had in your life. Please get a copy of American Road and start your own adventure. Staying connected with Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell is easy. Just go to manceandmitchell.com for the latest info on topics and guests. Friend Gary Mance and Suzanne Mitchell on their Facebook pages and like the Mance and Mitchell show page at facebook.com slash Mitchell. If you're on Twitter, share a follow with Gary and Suzanne at Mance Mitchell. Join Gary and Suzanne Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. for an unusual show that covers everything from personal growth to the paranormal. Here's an amazing act. Here's a tremendous act. Here's a startling act. The amazing, the thrilling, the greatest, spectacular, incredible, exciting, wonderful, world-famed, most unusual novelty act. The home of the A-Team of Alternative Talk is manceandmitchell.com. Heard right here on Alternative Talk 1150 AM or streaming live from your computer anywhere. Terry Loving wants to help you with your online marketing challenges right now. She has several courses she is giving away to help you get your business working for you online. Yes, giving away. WordPress websites are her specialty, yet her technical skills go way beyond that. Check out her blog at terryloving.com or email her directly at terry at terryloving.com. That's terry at terryloving.com. On Friday, Manson Mitchell welcomed Nicole Strickland, paranormal researcher, to talk about the pros and cons and latest trends in an expanding field of this scientific quest. On Saturday, Joey Medea brings us the tintinabulation of cults, cult leaders, cult followers, and how the elements all come together in perfect harmony. Bringing you mastery and mystery since 2007. We are Manson Mitchell, Friday and Saturday mornings at 10 on Alternative Talk AM 1150. Going against the grain has never been this much fun. Alternative Talk 1150. Welcome back to Manson Mitchell and our guest this hour, Nicole Strickland, making her 13th appearance. We are so happy to have her as a friend from California. Nicole, if people would like to find out more about the books you've written or your website, where are the places that they can find you and look you up online? Sure. So my main website is authornicolestrickland.com. That's kind of just a layout of pretty much what I do. And then my team's uh, website is San Diego Paranormal Research.com. And then uh, I'm on social media, various Facebook pages at Nicole D. Strickland, at Afterlife Chronicles. And then my team's Facebook page is at our acronym SDPRS. Twitter, I'm on, I don't use it that much, but I am on Twitter, SDPRS Nicole, and then Instagram, author Nicole Strickland. And I have not joined TikTok yet. So I don't know if I will. I, I'm currently debating how I would fit into that entire platform, but that's a whole nother discussion. So and you've written several books and you're about to publish another one. So how many books have you written now? So uh, eight so far. So this one will be my ninth. And then I'm also working on one with uh, Marie D. Jones and Denise Agnew. It's an anthology about women and the paranormal. That won't be coming out until 2024. But 
uh, my second self-published after the the book that I wrote about my cats, Max and Kaylee, the ebook I was um, alluding to earlier, that the new one is uh, the Afterlife uh, Chronicles, exploring the connection between life, death, and beyond. So that'll be out uh, the end of next month, give or take. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm shooting for the end of next month, and so I'm really excited about that. I actually wrote it. Back in 2019, it was originally supposed to be published by Schiffer, but their uh, editor for their spirituality titles uh, retired. And so they gave me the option, you can wait until we get a new editor or you can go on your own. And so I decided to go on my own. I originally wanted to maybe self-publish it, so it kind of circled back around to that. So it's a book all about, um, there's a lot of information. I There's a, a ton of information in there. You can probably write about 10 to 15 books just from this one book. But I get into topics exploring the connection between mortality and the afterlife. Uh, I talk about different types of spirit communication techniques, traditional techniques that we use, and then metaphysical, esoteric, the whole idea of the mind, body, and spirit and balancing that and how that fits into connecting with the afterlife uh just exploring the theme of uh, love as a as a connector between both worlds uh spirit guides you know how grief and loss can help you move through uh or how working the paranormal and having these amazing encounters with departed loved ones can help you move for, through grief and loss so there's that plus some other uh other topics in there and so what's interesting about it is i have about 17 contributors that opted to share personal stories and accounts that kind of align with the different topics that are discussed throughout the book. So um, they're a major, major part of the book. And without them, you know, it wouldn't be what it is. So I'm I'm really looking forward to it for sure. And it'll be published under my imprint, Kaylee Max Books. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. And mm-hmm. um, Gary? I wanted to suggest a project because I, I assume that you're never too busy. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're right. You are constantly productive, but I, uh, I just want to throw that this out there because I think you would do a beautiful job with it, both in terms of verifying as well as when necessary debunking superstitions. I'm talking about the Winchester Mystery House in mm. San Jose, California. Yeah. And by the way, it is said, and this is one of the things you might verify. It is said that Harry Houdini himself was the one that suggested that name Winchester Mystery House for promotional purposes. You know what? I and I with the history I do know of the house, that's something that either I read and forgot, but that's something if I read it I don't think I would forget it. I don't think I knew that. It, it I knew is, he went there though. I believe right. he went there, but wow, that's news to me unless I read it and forgot. Hello. Wow. He, uh, in 1924, Harry Houdini briefly visited the house and was reportedly impressed by its unusual layout, which is putting it mildly. Oh, yeah. Architectural novelties, but he couldn't make a detailed investigation because of more pressing engagements. Right. The house itself became a tourist attraction nine months after Sarah Winchester's death. She was always known as Sally, formerly Sarah Winchester. She died in 1922. The house was in disrepair and considered to be of no monetary value. Okay, this no Mm. monetary value is being applied to a mansion, which by the time uh, Mrs. Winchester died in 1922, the house had 
160 rooms, 2,000 doors, 10,000 windows, 47 stairways, 47 fireplaces, 13 bathrooms, and six kitchens. That is insane. Yeah, it's pretty large. And it's it's interesting. I've been to so many historic sites throughout California. The Winchester is one such place I have not yet visited. I mean, that's almost sad. So I apologize for that. But hopefully one day, one day soon. This is from a story in the San Jose Daily News. Okay. March 29, 1895. Wow. The headline was Strange Story, A Woman Who Thinks She'll Die When Her House Is Built. And the story goes on one paragraph of this article is, 10 years ago, the handsome residence was apparently ready for occupancy, but improvements and additions are constantly being made for the reason, it is said, that the owner of the house believes that when it is entirely completed, she will die. This superstition has resulted in the construction of a maze of domes, turrets, cupolas, and towers covering territory enough for a castle. That in and of itself, you've got so many associations, and I and here I am. This I'm urging this on Nicole Strickland. I hear Strickland. it. I hear it. Yep. You get a crack team of investigators, the best of the best, to work with you and go in there. I could see a book. I could certainly see a documentary. Cable TV is screaming for this kind of stuff. You know that, Nicole. Yeah, I know. That would be awesome. We need more documentaries that are educative. And if that's a word, I kind of pronounced it wrong. I can't talk today for some reason. And then informative. Absolutely. We need more of that. So, hmm, got my wheels spinning there a little bit. And And that's an interesting... Well, well, that's good. When Gary told me he was going to suggest a play to you, a place to you i said well isn't that rather presumptuous <laughs> yes it is as a matter of fact but we're no but it's pals. <laughs> yeah it's in my neck of the woods i mean you know i mean gosh gather a team and go in there and i mean I don't, you know that might be interesting I, I i said to gary well maybe maybe she doesn't want to do that and and then he said well i wonder what is on her wish list do you have ideas in mind for places that you would like to investigate that you haven't yet been to? You know, in the U.S., and I've been to many places, but yet in the U.S., uh, the Stanley Hotel and Gettysburg are top on my list. So in 2024, I'm actually going out and investigating with the Ghost Research Society, and we'll most likely do Gettysburg, maybe Trans-Allegheny Lunatic Asylum and other sites. I'm actually the the California coordinator for the Ghost Research Society, and that's headed up by Dale Katzmerich, who's been investigating the paranormal, oh my gosh, for years. I mean, the GRS was formed, I think, in 1977, and he's been a huge mentor for me. He's very well known as one of the you know top researchers in, in, the, in the U.S. for the paranormal, just a, an amazing guy all around. Um, he'd be an awesome guest for the show, by the way, if you're interested in having him. We yes. are. He's a Chicago guy. He's a Chicago guy. Yeah, he's written books too. Um, he's just a, it's amazing, amazing person. So, uh, yeah. So that's that. That'll be set in 2024. Uh, Stanley Hotel, like I said, uh, Gettysburg. There's so many other sites, and then of course abroad too. Oh my gosh, I want to visit Scotland. Uh, I want to visit Southampton. I, there's so many places. I feel like. I'm not, I've, even though I've traveled, it's not a lot compared to a lot of other people. Um, I mean, abroad, I've just basically gone to Mexico and Canada and that's it. 
I mean, that's sad, right? <laughs> One of these days I'll get well, there. You know, it, you live your life so productively. We're more than impressed. We greatly admire your output and your style and your diligent research. Likewise. In California, you have a beautiful opportunity. Now, I'm trying to set up your whole itinerary for you here. Because <laughs> you should Virgo. join in. Join oh, in. Let's, uh, let's. Now, there's an invitation I'd love to accept. We you're should do Diego. this all. Imagine the drive. If you're in San Diego, first thing you do, you go up to Long Beach, you visit the Queen, you enjoy that, and then you keep heading north. Right. Look at all the stuff you would see. And speaking of that, too, I forgot to mention the GRS is thinking of coming out in 2024. So we would start here, then go up to the Queen Mary, then probably the Winchester, and then Preston Castle, you know, and other spots in between. So that may just happen. Also, and I was uh, I was so young, I barely remember the trip, but there's San Simeon. Castle, oh, I William love Randolph Hearst Castle as well. All that stuff is up there. Big Sur. I mean, there's a whole spiritual aura, I think, that just embraces that uh, maybe all of California, but certainly that great midsection along the coast that, oh, that makes it yeah. extraordinary. Yeah. My mom and I used to do when I was younger, like 9, 10, 11, 12, we took road trips uh, in the summertime all the way up to San Francisco and back. And we would always stay in San Simeon. Hearst Castle is just absolutely amazing. I do know, I think anyway, it's just based on the fact that it hasn't ever been on any show or anything like that, that they don't allow paranormal investigators. And, and I can see that. I can absolutely see why a lot of museums are, are, seem, are starting to close off to the paranormal. I mean, Sloss Furnace is one of them that just recently said no more paranormal. And I think that's partly because of the actions of a few ruin it for the rest of us. So, but anyways, that's a, that's a whole nother topic, but yeah. Oh my gosh. San Simeon is just beautiful. Oh, it's gorgeous. That really is. I, I, I'll get to a little bit deeper into this being a professional writer multi-published author, paranormal researcher of some renown by this point. That's oh, for sure. that's so kind of you. But don't you feel like, you know, I'll, I'll use a bad word here there. Don't you feel like you say the actions of a few? I, I dig where you're coming from, Nicole. And it yep. seems to me the great disservice that is done to paranormal research, ghost research in particular, is that you have people whose efforts may draw ratings and make them money, but I'm not the first one to suspect that what they do effectively is bastardize the field yes. by the way they conduct their so-called research. That's some bad stuff to be doing when there are people who take this subject matter very seriously and want to mm -hmm. do an honest job of it. That is very eloquently said, and it is a huge thorn in my side. I try to stay in my lane and do what I do, but it's hard. It's very frustrating as someone who is dedicated and respectful to not only the locations and my colleagues and the spirits, of course, but th there's this sense with people you have the, and, and this isn't a dig on people that use ghost hunting in their team titles. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the mentality and the psychology behind those that are ghost hunting and thrill seeking versus those that are really conducting paranormal research, right? Two different psychological mindsets. And I actually discussed this in depth in some of my presentations, 
but there, you know, there's this sense of like using the field and exploiting it for personal gain, for fame. It's just it's it's like a nauseating sense of like sensationalism that you know that gives off the idea that the paranormal is nothing but entertainment and should be used as such. Sorry, my clock is going off, and that that frustrates me. It really it really does. Well, if it isn't going to be for entertainment, um, when you are doing this research, is it to verify information, to get information about a place when you're researching? What are you researching for? History, background, the truth about something? What kinds of things are you researching? Good question. Of course, it depends on the case, but a lot of it is, uh, you know, researching the different claims of what's going on at a location, examining those with different types of methodology to maybe differentiate, okay, what is naturally caused, what is logically caused, what is maybe, maybe psychogenically caused by, you know, human agents versus, okay, what is innate paranormal phenomena. So it's using a bunch of different modalities to try and um, differentiate, of course, examining the history of the property, the history of the land, things of that nature, and, you know, employing different types of methodology, like I said, different types of experimentation, environmental monitoring, Uh, then you bring in the whole, uh, you know, some people like to use psychic mediums, others don't. But uh, for those that do, then you bring in the intuitive and and the mediumship in that. So it's, it, again, it depends on the case, but you're really trying to figure out what's going on. And then in my case, if I if I feel like, okay, there's something here, or maybe a series of things here that I can't explain, I'll probably consult with others to get their opinions. And if we all feel like, all right, well, we we don't know what's going on, we'll leave it at that. Because it's not my duty to 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 prove the existence of ghosts to people. That's That's just not what I'm doing. I'm just here to try to discover more about the intricacies of of the phenomena and things of that nature so when when you have um uh, contributors to your your uh, afterlife chronicles or if you are going out and and uh, verifying what somebody else is telling you about a place and you say i'll go check that out do you have some kind of standards for verifying where is there a, a, a checklist? Do you check off boxes saying if it's yes to this, 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 and this, then it's then it's real? And if it doesn't meet these standards, it's not real. I mean, how do you how do you besides <laughs> your own intuition, do yeah, you, do you use some some protocols? or standards to verify that what is being said is true. Yes, yeah, and a lot of that uh, we I'm an excessive note taker so we have different forums and things like that um for for investigators on a case notating different types of uh experiences and phenomena and seeing uh for example uh let's say you have some EMF intermittent spikes, right? Now, those alone don't tell me anything, really. But if you put that together in conjunction with maybe another type of environmental uh, situation that's going on, or maybe there's a spike at the same time that someone gets an EVP, well, those are two pieces of information that you can 
try to put together. So I'm always trying to figure out, okay, what pieces of the puzzles fit and then what what doesn't. So in terms of a checklist, while we have different forms and and, and then our general format for a case write-up, for me, it's more mental in terms of the checklist that I want to uh, get to. So for example, like with private residences, and I'm sorry I'm, if I'm like kind of jumping around here, but with private residences, we usually will have like an interview. We'll take what they send us initially. Then we'll do a phone interview to kind of verify if what they're saying is exactly what they sent us or is there something else that they're adding to it. Then when we go to the property, we'll do a more extensive interview. And during that time, we can kind of see if answers change during the on-site interview that were different during the phone interview. And that doesn't mean they're lying necessarily, but it's just, you know, that's that's an example that we use uh, to to uh, try to see, you know, if, if people are actually saying the truth or really not sure what's going on, if, if, if they're going to answer and say, okay, all this is going on, and then you go to the on-site interview, and then they're, you know, spewing out a bunch of additional information, it's jagged. So we try to, like, bring them together and try to like condense it all if that makes it sense. It sounds like detective work, Nicole. It is a yeah, it is. Yeah. It's almost yeah, it's almost a, a little bit of like social work and they're put in there a little bit too. Detective work like pro, like similar to what a private investigator would do. Yes. Just yeah. applying more to the paranormal. So. Yeah, I keep saying researcher, but when you say investigator, detective, you know, there's a lot of of ways to describe what it is that you do and that's why I was I was asking about the standards is that um, if you are an investigator or a detective, part of that is going to be led by your intuition, by what your gut is telling you. And then part of it is going to be questions that you've asked so many times right. that when you get the answer you can compare it to the other thousand times you ask that question. Right. You start to see patterns too, you know, from previous cases. And again, you you can't judge a case by its cover, but there are oftentimes in a case, let's say this year, it might be super similar to several I had a few years ago. And so you can draw from that as well. Uh, and then just like I said, trying to connect the pe- the puzzle pieces, verifying, looking at the history and the property, that helps you because then you can almost, even with phenomena, you can verify potentially maybe an answer to a question or, or a sighting of an apparition. If that fits the historical narrative, then that's almost, you can therefore say, well, this might be a residual historical phenomenon, a place memory or things, things, something like that. So well, let me ask you this. When, when Gary and I talk to ufologists, they will say that about approximately 98% of all sightings can be explained by mm-hmm. something in the natural world. Absolutely. A, a satellite, a planet, mm-hmm. a plane, a helicopter, something, birds. And and they say when they do their research, almost everything can be attributed to something in our world. Absolutely. It's the one or two percent that don't fit. Right. So when you're doing your investigative work, what kind of percentages are you looking at? Can you dismiss 
98% of what it is that you're seeing and saying those are pipes in the walls and they are creaky doors that, you know, don't need some oil. I mean, do you, are you able to, to figure out that a very large percentage are not actually paranormal and that the paranormal is very small, or would you say it's more than one or 2%? Yeah, you know, a case by case basis, I'll just generalize it. And of course, you may have a piece of maybe a photograph or an audio clip or a video that someone feels has paranormal phenomena, then you go and examine that and you can actually explain it away. That doesn't mean that paranormal phenomena is not existing at that location. It's just not necessarily evident in that piece of uh, alleged evidence that you sent. So I would say more often than not, I would say I mean, I'm going to go more liberal here. I'm going to say about for ghosts, spirits, and hauntings, not considering ufology or crypto, just in the ghost research, ghost spirits and hauntings research, I would say probably 5%, and I'm estimating here, is probably something that can be innately paranormal. Nowadays, you have to really try to decipher what is what is psychogenically caused by the human mind versus what is innately paranormal. So that's that's a whole ball game in and of itself. You know, that's one of the cons of all these popular places, people going in day in and day out. What percentage of the claims have changed over the years and are basically psychogenic because of the scores of people going in versus what is innately paranormal by itself without people going in? So I'm seeing a shift of probably a lot of these claims and experiences are people that maybe are causing it, maybe due to belief systems, uh, thought projections, things of that nature. So it, it becomes interesting when that happens. Well, thank you for saying that. It was just something I was curious about. Mm-hmm. If you can dismiss a lot of stuff and if yeah. you're dismissing 95 things out of 100, that's a fair amount but it still leaves you that 5%, which are not easily explained. Right. And there may be some situations that are not tangible in terms of objective. They're more subjective, but you still have to count those. Those still go into the case report, you know, so it's a whole, it's a whole process. And we have a whole format to our case reports and things of, you know, our write-ups that we give to people after. One more time, Nicole Strickland. We always enjoy the time flies with you. We look forward to our next conversation. But please tell people the book, your website, where they can get it, when they can get it. And then we'll follow up with a detailed interview about the Afterlife Chronicles very soon, I'm sure. Sure. I'll keep this because I'm looking at the time. I'll keep it quick. So authornicolestrickland.com. Upcoming book, The Afterlife Chronicles, Exploring the Connection Between Life, Death, and Beyond, will be coming out uh, uh, published by Kaylee Max Books, my imprint, uh, by soon, hopefully by the end of next month. But I'll I'll post about it and all of that. So we're yeah, I'm excited. It's it's a lot of fun. I love writing. Thank you. Thank, thank you. you for being with us today. Nicole. Thank you. Yeah, fun. it was yeah, it was always a pleasure. You guys are wonderful, wonderful hosts. I appreciate the thought provoking questions too. So thank you so much, and thank you for the testimonial. It meant so much. Well, you're quite welcome. We will do this again, Nicole. Thank you. Thank you. We're so happy that you listened in. Hope you enjoyed it. Have a great weekend, everyone.